Welcome to the New Books Network. Confounding, exhilarating, and contagious. Emotions matter, and so does applying emotional intelligence. Welcome to Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight, the podcast where emotions rule. Whatever the topic, how do hearts and minds collide? Find out with your host, a college professor turned globetrotting EQ entrepreneur. His mission? Each week, Dan joins prominent authors in decoding how emotions drive outcomes and make people tick. Now, on to the show. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for the 35th episode of my podcast, Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight. The series appears here on the New Books Network, which has as its motto, sharing knowledge so people can thrive. Today's topic is, despite not evolving to exercise, it's healthy. With me is Daniel E. Lieberman, the author of Exercise, Why Something We Never Evolved to Do is Healthy and Rewarding. The publisher is Pantheon Books. Daniel is the Lerner Professor of Biological Sciences in the Department of Human Evolutionary Biology at Harvard University. He received degrees from Harvard and Cambridge Universities. He studies and teaches how and why the human body is the way it is and how our evolutionary history affects health and disease. His research combines experimental biomechanics, anatomy, and physiology, both in the lab and in the field. Welcome to the show, Daniel. Oh, well, thank you so much. I'm oh, looking forward to it. So briefly, uh, level set for the listeners. What's this book about? Well, um, it's basically a natural history of how and why we never evolved to exercise, but why it's nonetheless healthy. So uh, in an effort to sort of uh, kind of debunk myths about exercise, I combine anthropological and biological and other sorts of scientific perspectives with my own experiences and stories to to kind of uh, demystify and, as I said before, debunk a bunch of confusing myths about exercise. Okay. Well, I always enjoy having uh, myths debunked, so I'm going to look forward to that. (laughs) Um, You say chief among them, quite possibly, is that we're supposed to want to exercise. Uh, Do you want to briefly elaborate on that statement? Then I I have a couple of follow-up questions for you. Well, I mean, I think that's the that's that's myth number one. That's the chief myth. That's the basic myth. In fact, it's the it's the it's the, it's the reason I wrote the book, which is that, you know, uh, you know, the vast majority of of people in the Western world and places like America don't exercise. Only about twenty percent of Americans exercise in their in their leisure time, and yet we're constantly told that 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 we're you know people who don't exercise are lazy, and 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 it's confusing. And it's not that people don't want to exercise. It's just they have a hard time and they feel shamed and they feel bullied and they're, uh, you know, anxious. They're, they're literally exercised about exercise and, <laughs> and, and which is why I entitled the book exercise. And, and so, um, I, and I think that the, the kind of first thing to remember is that, is that physical activity is, is moving, right? Physical activity is using your muscles to, to get something done, like shoveling your driveway, which is, I just spent a few hours doing, but exercise is planned, voluntary, discretional physical activity for the sake of health and fitness. And until recently, nobody did that. That's a that's a modern Western concept that arrives because people today no longer have to be physically act- active in order to survive. Sure. And, and you mentioned that, you know, the mind never evolved to get us moving unless, and you had two criteria there. One, it's necessary. And the other, it's pleasurable or otherwise rewarding. So you just mentioned bullied, being bullied or feeling bullied and anxious and several emotions. And of course, this is a show about emotions. So I want to kind of go down that path for a moment. You mentioned in the book later on uh, some possibilities to make 
uh, exercise indeed pleasurable to to bring happiness? Can you share those with listeners? Sure. I mean, I think there's I think there's sort of a few things that that people can do um, to uh, I think it's sort of three sort of evolutionary lessons um, that uh, that I think um, can be useful uh, to think about when you're uh, when you're thinking about exercise. And, and I think the first is just don't feel bad about not wanting to exercise. I mean, uh, yesterday morning, for example, it was really cold and dark, and I had to meet my my, my running buddy, my friend, at six thirty in the morning. And and I didn't want to go, right? And there's this little voice in in, in my head saying, "Don't do it," right? <laughs> um, and 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 a lot of us are made to feel bad that we, you know, we have those instincts, right? If you stand at the bottom of, you know, think about like an, in a mall or a subway stop or something like that, where there's an escalator next to a stairway, right? Most of us want to take the escalator, even though escalators never existed in our evolutionary history. But it's it's an instinct to avoid the the unnecessary exertion. And, and yet we're told that we're lazy somehow if we want to take the, take the escalator. And, and I think, so the, a first step is just to, to know that little voice is a, is a, is an instinct, just like it's an instinct to want to eat the chocolate cake or, 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 you know, uh, it's so, normal. So ice cream perhaps in Harvard square. Uh, exactly. <laughs> ice cream in Harvard square. Exactly. I mean, these are all, these are basic fundamental instincts and, and there's, there's nothing wrong with them. And, and uh, the trick is in the modern world, we have to overcome those instincts. So that's, I think the first the first lesson. I think the second one is is what you just mentioned, which is that is that we evolved to be physically active for just two reasons: when it was necessary or when it was socially rewarding. And so, if you want to exercise and you're having struggling to exercise, those are the two criteria that you should think about, right? So, you know, we we prescribe it like 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 cod liver oil, and we and we you know we 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 you know we we um you know we 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 shame people and blame people into doing it. Try to find ways that make it enjoyable and, and necessary, and so that means, for example, dancing or going going with friends, or yep. or, or 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 you know, if you hate treadmills, don't use treadmills. I mean, they're they're miserable machines. I mean, I I, I spent a lot of time in the book making fun of treadmills because I think they're the apotheosis of modern exercise a, a noisy, loud, strange, unpleasant machine that makes you work really hard and gets you nowhere, right? I mean, it's a strange thing, right? And in fact, um, you mentioned that convicts were forced to be on treadmills, including uh, one of my favorite writers, Oscar Wilde. That's correct. I mean, the, the, the modern treadmill was sort of invented as a torture device for the, by, by the English prison. <laughs> It's, so if you if you hate the treadmill, there's there's a really deep and fundamental reason, right? Well, I'll channel, um, I'll channel my my inner Oscar Wilde the next time I'm on a treadmill. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sure he didn't like it either. And so so you know, think about another thing that we I think so I think we should treat exercise the way we treat another modern kind of abnormal but important uh, thing we do, which is education, right? We didn't evolve to to read or learn algebra or whatever. And, and the way we do it is we make it necessary. We make it fun. We, you know, school is fun. It's very social. And we also have these sort of commitment contracts. You have pay professors like me to torture you <laughs> and give you, give you bad grades if you don't learn the material properly. So, so there's a number of ways to, to, to overcome uh, the disinclination to, to, to exercise by just making it necessary and fun. And I, and I think the final thing the final sort of anthropological sort of evolutionary le lesson is to relax about time. You know, the, the number one reason people give for not wanting to exercise, they don't have enough time, right? And, 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 and there's this idea that somehow, you know, you have to go out and like run a marathon or, or, or you know, go do some serious kind of Arnold Schwarzenegger kind of workout in the gym. But, but the fact of the matter is that our ancestors didn't do a lot of physical activity. They were active, you know, about two, two and a half hours a day. Um, they spent most of the day sitting just like us. 
Um, and, and actually, it turns out that you only need pretty moderate levels of physical activity to get enormous benefit. Just just 150 minutes a week, which is the U.S. Surgeon General's you know recommendation, which which lowers your rate of death by about 50 percent, which is pretty big, right? Yeah, that's that's just 21 minutes a day. Um, that's not huge, and you don't have to do anything crazy. Um, and and if you even don't have 21 minutes, you can you'll still get benefit from doing you know 10 minutes or or even a minute or two if you make it intense. Um, you know, we we it's we don't have to you know we we've kind of turned it into this kind of commercial commodified kind of sort of virtue signaling uh, activity, and and we don't need to do that. Okay. So, yeah, we've, we've talked about uh, happiness and making it pleasurable. I have to mention that one of my favorite parts of the book was, it's quite brief, but uh, in terms of motivating oneself, you know, sticks and carrots. And the stick in this case was a friend of yours who arranged that if they didn't get their prescribed exercise, uh, the monies that would be donated wouldn't go to a favorite cause. Instead, they'd go to a cause they didn't like, which was the NRA. Yeah. <laughs> um, that makes me think of contempt as a motivator in this case, because contempt is I don't trust you. I don't respect you. I find you beneath me. And based on this person's politics and CNRA. So I have to ask, there's some other emotions here we could possibly invoke uh, to try to use as, I guess, sticks, fear, sure. sadness, uh, anger, uh, even disgust, any way in which you can think of using those emotions for a good end, <laughs> even though they're maybe unpleasant emotions in the moment. Well, I mean, I think I think the point is that they're both carrots and sticks, right? Sure. And, and 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 it's good to have carrots, but sometimes we need sticks, right? And uh, I'm not sure if I if I would uh, if I would be a big advocate of fear or contempt or disgust as ways to exercise, but but you know, our ancestors, I mean, often they got up and went worked hard because it prevented them from starving. You know, sure. I mean, uh, it was a necessity, and and we just live in a very very strange world today where. Where, where we've made physical activity um, optional. I mean, I, I mean, I can get up in the morning and, and you know, um, turn a handle and all of a sudden water, hot water comes out of a tap. I mean, that's a miracle, right? And, and you know, I, and I walk down the stairs and there's all this food that's just in a box and I just have to pour it, right? And, and I can, if I wanted to, I could drive to work and have an elevator take me to my office and sit in a chair all day long. And if I go shopping, you know, I don't have to carry anything because there's a, there's a cart in the supermarket and, you know, on and on and on. We've, we've made physical activity completely optional. And so we need to find, um, we need to find ways to make it necessary. And, and, um, and if whatever works for you, <laughs> if that works, that's fine. That's, you know, it's between you and your conscience, but, um, but let's, but what we know that doesn't work is, is shaming people, blaming people, prescribing it, um, you know, um, you know, Fitbits have only a tiny little positive effect. I mean, you know, the, the, it's because the, those don't really satisfy the two basic criteria uh, that I just mentioned, that you just mentioned, which is that making it fun and making it necessary. Okay. Well, you know, a lot of this book, and I think it's really wonderful stuff you're talking about, you know, contemporary world, but you also talk about where we've come from and that 80,000 years ago, everyone was basically in Africa that Westerners are only about 12% of the world's population, yet 96% of the subjects in psychological studies, you know, are from the Western world. So can you talk about, you know, what have you seen over the course of humanity? And you have a lot of wonderful photographs taken from Namibia and other places. Key differences between Westerners and non-Westerners when it comes to exercise. Well, I mean, one of the key differences is that we even have this concept of exercise. I mean, you know, you know the, the, the reason I started this book, actually, the, the, the kind of the, the impetus was, 
I was doing some field work in Mexico, uh, studying um, uh, the Native American group called the Tarahumara. Uh, they call themselves Raramuri. And they're sort of famous for their running. And I was, you know, traveling around and you know, sleeping on the floors of pueblos and, you know, having a great time measuring people's feet and stuff like that. And and there was this elderly guy and I asked him about, and it turned out he was, he, I was told he was a great runner. Actually, later on, I got to see him running in a race, um, mid seventies and amazing runner. <laughs> I mean, he did, he did like a 60, 70 mile race. And um, so I was asking about his running and I asked him, you know, how he trained. This is all through an interpreter. And, and, uh, my, the interpreter and I had the hardest time trying to explain to this guy what, what I meant by training because they have no word for training. And uh, eventually he looked at me when he finally figured out, he started explaining you know, how I go running in the morning you know, to stay healthy and stuff like that. And he looked at me. He said, why would anybody run if they didn't have to? And, and I remember kind of laughing and being a little bit embarrassed by his question um, because uh, kind of – but then realizing that uh, he had a point, you know, it's not like I didn't know it, but he kind of crystallized it in my, in my mind. And it was then I really thought it's interesting. I really wanted to explore more, more what it meant uh, to, you know, to, to, you know, the realization that, that, that exercise is really a kind of modern strange thing that people in most cultures and for most of human evolutionary history, you know, didn't do. Okay. Um, so I, you, you have 12 myths in the book. Um, I'm going to make you choose a favorite child. We've already dealt with the chief myth, number one, that kind of was the impetus for the book. Is there among the other myths one that you think is, you know, particularly seminal, a favorite of yours for some reason? Uh, this is basically the softball question to give you a chance to make sure you get a chance to go someplace you want to get to in this conversation. Well, I would say that, you know, I mean, I, I had fun sort of thinking about various myths and there, there are way more myths than than uh, than I uh, could put in the book. But I think the myth that I think that's most important and the one I'm sort of part of the book that I'm really most proud of in a way is the chapter where I discuss aging and exercise. Because we have this idea that as you get older, you know, it's normal to be less physically active. And and the more I study the problem, the more I realize it's, it's exactly the reverse, that you know, humans are an unusual species, that we evolved to live you know, uh, about two decades on average after after we stop reproducing into our seventies. So if you if you're a hunter gatherer and you survive childhood, your your chances are you live to to your seventies uh, uh, um, before you shuffle off this mortal coil. And and um, and it turns out that the that 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 evolutionary that selective pressure to to live long past we we stop reproducing is really about you know provisioning offspring. So grandmothers and grandfathers are out there hunting and gathering and getting a surplus, which they give to their children and their grandchildren, which means they're active. And and if you look at the data, grandparents in, in these kinds of societies are, are as active, if not more active than parents, right? Um, and, and, and the important point about that is that that activity turns on a host of repair and maintenance mechanisms that keep us healthy, right? You know, as we sit here, you know, we're, our bodies are kind of slowly decaying, um, but when you, if you go exercise, you really stress your body to a greater extent, and it's that stress that turns on those repair and maintenance mechanisms. And, and since we never evolved not to be physically active, we never evolved to turn them on as effectively without occasionally being physically active. And so, and so that's why as we age, exercise becomes more important, not less important. And, and in most of these societies, you know, people are working hard, they're still walking fast, they're, they're maintain their strength. And so you know, we need to kind of rethink how we, how we consider, you know, what's normal about aging in, in, in our, in our society, because, because staying active is, as you get older is, is, you know, it's, it's the closest thing to a fountain of youth. Of course, there isn't a fountain of youth, 
I mean, it's not a magic bullet, but it's pretty darn important. Yeah, no, that was actually one of my favorite chapters, probably in part because I'm getting older myself. And, uh, you know, when you started talking about humans age uniquely and which strategies work and don't work, I, I found that really fascinating. Can you go on just a little bit more about health span versus lifespan? The sadness of doing this as a, a podcast is I can't share some of the wonderful graphs and, and photographs that are in the book, but uh, you do have a, a good graph, an important graph that talks about health span versus lifespan, if you might just elaborate a bit. Sure. Well, so lifespan is what we all know what lifespan is. It's, you know, how long you live, right? So, the, you know, the, from the day you were born to the day you die, that's your lifespan. But, but during that lifespan, there's periods when you are more or less healthy, right? And, and it turns out that in, in most societies, um, until recently, health span and lifespan were pretty much the same thing, right? So people stayed with high functional capacity uh, until, until the very end in which, and they, you know, they quickly deteriorated and died. And, and that's because a lot of the chronic diseases that we suffer from for decades before for dying uh, are just are really modern. So diabetes and osteoporosis and arthritis and um, uh, heart disease and, uh, uh, you know, the list is long, right? A lot of those diseases um, are, 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 are extremely rare to the point of being almost non-existent in populations that don't eat like us, but also more, also as from the perspective of this book, also are much more physically active. And so, so st staying with high functional capacity, you know, that, that's, that's your health span, right? And so, so a, a long life with, with, without much morbidity, without much illness is a life in which you have a long health span as well as a long lifespan. And that's really, that's what physical activity does. It, you know, it's, it's much, it's more important for your health span actually than your lifespan. It's by, and it's by increasing your health span that it increases your lifespan. Okay. And, you know, I mean, you mentioned one point, there's a statistic about Americans sitting around and it's increased by 43% between 1965 and 2009. It's really pretty stunning. Um, so it's, it's the food we're eating. It's all sorts of habits we've developed and so forth. You mentioned that there are five ways in which we can spend calories. Uh, they're growing your body, maintaining your body, storing energy, being active, reproducing. Uh, what might you want to tell us about those five ways and, and how they stack up? What's most yeah. beneficial to us? I'm glad you asked that because it's a really important point. It's really the kind of the essence of a lot of evolutionary theory, which is uh, that, you know, until recently, uh, energy, like everything else, involved trade-offs, right? You can't spend a minute twice, right? A minute spending listening to this podcast is a minute that you didn't spend doing something else, right? And until recently, uh, energy was as limited as, as time, right? Uh, because people didn't have have tons of, of calories available to them, right? Um, and they struggled to get every calorie, and so so you had so we have to uh, you know uh, allocate calories to one of these five different topics, you know, five different processes. You know, you can either grow, which of course we stopped doing at a certain point, like yep. you know after the end of puberty. Um, we, we, you can spend it on maintenance, which is very important. And we spend about two thirds of our calories on maintenance. Oh, okay. Um, you can spend it on, on storing energy like fat, right? Um, and you can spend it on reproducing and you can spend it on physical activity. That's it. <laughs> your five choices, right? Anytime you spend energy on say physical activity, uh, you're not spending it on something else. And, and the only thing sadly that natural selection cares about, which is cause it doesn't is, is, is reproduction, right? It, basically the, 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 um, the sort of the equation of life is energy in and babies out, right? Yeah. <laughs> and everything else is spent to kind of help you ultimately have as many offspring who survive and reproduce themselves. Mm -hmm. So, so, and that, so that's why, that's why, that's really fundamentally why 
we never evolved to exercise because physical activity that doesn't have any benefit is is actually counterproductive from an evolutionary perspective. And and so in back in the day when calories were limited and people already had to be very active anyway just to get their calories, they're going for a five mile jog in the morning. It's not a good idea. It was actually a pretty bad idea. So, and, and it's that basic fundamental instinct that causes us to want to take it easy whenever we can. But now, of course, we live in a world where, where bizarrely, um, we have super abundant calories. We actually pay extra money for foods that have, you know, less, you know, fewer calories. Yeah. <laughs> and we also, and we also, you know, pay money to, to go on machines like treadmills that make us, you know, work and get nothing done. Right. I mean, Explain that to a hunter-gatherer, to, a, to, a, to, a, to, a, to, a, to your ancestors from a few hundred generations ago. They, they'd think we're crazy. Yeah, no, no. My, my grandparents barely got through the Great Depression as farmers out in North Dakota. They would not have been wasting extra energy on a treadmill, I can assure you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So let's get, get fairly specific about some of the activities. Assuming we, you know, listeners, we're, we're in the Western world and we've got the, these excess calories and so forth. What would you recommend or what does your, your studies, your research find are some of the best avenues and what are some of the bogus or not so beneficial ways we might exercise? Well, so I tried to steer clear in the book from making it too prescriptive. You know, this is not yeah. a how-to book. It's True. really more a why book rather than a what-to-do book. But, you know, I, I think that the, you know, the really key, so I think the key thing is just to do what you like, right? You know, and I mean, that, that matters more than anything else, <laughs> right? Um, because, you know, if... Uh, but uh, um, but if you if you were to kind of ask you know ten physicians or sort of exercise scientists, I think they'd probably all agree on a few basic principles. And one is that you know some is better than none. So if you're if you're if you're on the fence, you know you don't need to do a huge amount, and you'll get a benefit from doing a small amount. Uh, secondly, I think that, that it's you know well 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 established that cardio is really the bedrock of physical activity. Yeah. We, we evolved. To be endurance athletes, you know, walking is the most fundamental, basic human activity. You know, we we we're, we we're, we're walkers. We evolved to walk. The average hunter gatherer walks from, you know, a distance from from L.A. to New York every year. That's normal. Often carrying stuff too, um, and uh, so walking is super useful. But occasionally, you know, a little little intensity is also very important. So mixing it up a bit and getting in some vigorous activity is has huge benefits. And then finally, you know. Uh, Getting some strength is, is important, especially as we age. So that's why, you know, we recommend people do a little bit of strength training, particularly as they get older, because it, it prevents muscle wasting, what's called sarcopenia, which is a which is really a debilitating problem for a lot of people as they age. They have heart, trouble getting out of chairs and, you know, doing stuff. And then once that happens, then you get this vicious cycle where where you become even less able to be physically active and, and things deteriorate rapidly. So, so you know, mix it up. To get, 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 you know, do do stuff that you like. A little bit is better than none. Try to a little bit more is better if you can do it and and, and have fun. Well, I, I remember, you know, speaking of the weights, uh, seeing the video of of Judge Ginsburg doing, oh, yeah. doing all of her exercise. She was she was quite something. That's right, and she survived, you know, several bouts of cancer and lived to be eighty-seven. And you know, I don't think that the the workouts she did were 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 coincidental. I mean, I think that was a very important part of her 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 longevity and her vigor up right up until the end. Yeah, no, I, I certainly believe in the value of walking. Also, it's a good chance to kind of reflect on things. Uh, William Wordsworth wrote most of his best poetry while walking, and if you listen to the cadence of his poems, you can tell the man's walking. Um, yeah. It, it, yeah, it informs them. 
Um, but you weren't just walking, uh, you also run. So I have to mention another favorite part of the book, the man against horse race. Can you tell, <laughs> can you tell listeners about that? <laughs> that was a kind of a crazy, well, so, you know, I, 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 I studied the evolution of running and wrote a, a paper that with a colleague, Dennis Bramble in 2004, that was on in nature, the born to run paper. And, um, and in that paper, we describe how, how people could run down, uh, animals, um, you know, before the invention of, of sort of sophisticated weapons, people would run animals into, into, into basically a state of heat stroke. It's called persistence hunting. And, you know, I'm not going to go out to the Kalahari desert and run a kudu down. Um, that's not, uh, that's not even legal. Um, but I, but I did know about, I, I actually looked had, for years, I've been interested in this, in this race called man against horse in Prescott, Arizona. And, um, when I was working on the book and I thought, you know, I really should put my money where my mouth is and try this race, which I wanted to do for ages. So I called up the the folks and, and went down and participated in this crazy race. And there were, I think there were 53 Three, horses. Yeah, 53, 54 horses, something like that. Yeah. And like, and like 40, 41 runners. Um, and, um, you know, I'm a middle-aged professor. I'm not a great runner. I mean, I, I do like to run and I'm, I'm, I'm okay, but I'm not a, you know, I never won anything in my life. Um, and yet I managed to, um, and it's a it's a it's a marathon basically it's just as short of a marathon it's 25 miles, and um, um, over this mountain and uh, I managed to um, to beat all but nine all but 13 of the horses so I beat 40 horses um, um, uh, and the horses by the way get a, a rest so that they they have a there's a veterinary stop where they all have to stop and get their temperature and heart rate measured so that they're you know make sure the riders don't don't you know don't injure the horses, but they don't do that for the humans. We have to keep going. And, and, that, and that, so, so actually I think, that, I think that the horses get a little, kind of get a little extra help that the humans don't, but, uh, but it was, it was fun because it kind of put, it was a, first of all, it was a, just a fascinating and, and an enjoyable experience, but it also really helped me kind of uh, understand at a visceral level and experiential level, just what it is like, how humans can outrun animals over extraordinary running animals over over long distances yeah no I, I never would have expected that it was a nice way of bringing home some of the messaging about persistence hunting and how our ancestors could manage to survive all this it also had one of your most wonderful lines you said sweating effectively turns the entire body into a giant wet tongue <laughs> that's true <laughs> that's that's basically what that's basically what we are we've just got giant tongues running around Fair enough. So I have to ask, what are you at work on next? Uh, you are a man who said at one point in the book that you, you love to uh, always be discovering and doing, doing, doing new things. So surely there must be something next for you. Oh, well, the lab is busy, even though with the pandemic, it's hard for us to, to do research quite at the level that we're doing. But, but, but we have a wonderful group of students that we're, we're, doing, extra, we're doing experiments on, on ventilation. We're interested in how, how people breathe and how pregnancy affects the ability to to, to breathe when you're physically active. We're looking at, um, we're looking at a lot of work on shoes and how shoes affect how our feet function. We're studying um, effects of chairs and sitting on lower back pain. We're, we're looking at um, the effects of physical activity on inflammation and how, how and why physical activity helps, you know, turn down inflammation because that's a major cause of many diseases. We're looking at, at physical activity and, and heart function and, you know, blood pressure and, and, uh, oh gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting some other things, but we're, you know, in the lab, we're, we're, you know, we study how and why in my lab, how, how and why humans evolved to be physically active and how that's relevant to health. So, so I get the fun of having wonderful students and, and studying a wide range of these, these topics. Um, you know, we focus mostly on running and walking, but, 
but we but we look at everything else as well. Sure. Well, the book was a real pleasure. Uh, I want to thank you for having been my guest here on Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight. This has been episode number 35. Despite not evolving to exercise, it's healthy. My guest, Daniel Lieberman, his book, Exercised, Why Something We Never Evolved to Do is Healthy and Rewarding. Uh, you can find more information about this episode by going to my latest blog posting at HTTPS, emotions, plural, emotionswizard.com. If you've enjoyed today's show, please give it a rating or review on iTunes. To check out other episodes from the podcast, you can go to my company's website at the obligatory three W's, sensorylogic.com. Finally, I'd like to conclude every episode with an appropriate epigram. In this case, I actually chose something from, of all people, Dick Van Dyke. Uh, in looking through things, I saw he said at one point, in my 70s, I exercise to stay ambulatory. In my 80s, I exercise to avoid assisted living. Until next time, be kind and stay safe. Mm-hmm.